Welcome to the Venley Expert Talks, where we aim to inspire Web3 builders with great stories from great minds. I'm your host, Alexandra Ahrens, and I'd like to remind you that you can always reach out to us on Twitter, Discord, or LinkedIn with ideas for the podcast and questions for our guests. Welcome to episode 22. Ooh, I forgot what episode I was on. Let me start again. Sorry. <laughs> you were right, though. It is episode 22. It is. It is. Welcome to episode 22 of the Venley Expert Talks. Today, I'm joined by Sandy Carter, SVP of Unstoppable Domains, founder of Women of Web3, and chairman of the board of Girls in Tech. And we are going to talk about the five essentials for Web3. Thank you so much for joining me, Sandy. I appreciate it. You are welcome. I'm so excited to be here, Alex. This is my favorite subject to talk about. Awesome. Great. Well, we can't wait to hear what you've got to say. Uh, before we do, though, I would love to start out with your background. So can you talk about a little bit your life and how you got into this whole thing? Yeah, so I have uh, pretty much lived my life in tech. I... Um, I'm now with Unstoppable Domains, which uh, is about a digital identity for Web3. And I got into it because I was working previously at Amazon Web Services. I was looking after the ecosystem there around um, regulated industry and public sector. And there were a lot of companies starting to ask me about blockchain. You know, I use blockchain for this. I use blockchain for that. And I was like, wow, I'm really fascinated by that. Um, and Alex, since I've been a geek girl my whole life, I decided to really dive deep on the blockchain, see why people put things on chain, why things are off chain. Um, and so that's really how I got into Web3 was really doing that, that exploration and then doing a bunch of side projects uh, once I learned what the chain was, you know, to experiment with crypto and NFTs and, you know, the list goes on. Um, but my formal job at Amazon Web Services was to help bring everybody into the cloud world, into the AI world, um, to leverage IoT. Before that, I had my own startup. Super cool, I think, Alex. It was to match a company's personality or culture to a set of innovation tactics. So it's kind of like doing a Myers-Briggs on a corporation. And seeing then what what innovation tactics would work for them. So, you know, everybody wants to innovate. Uh, 93% of CEOs believe that innovation is their secret success. But they, a lot of times, want to try what other companies are doing. And so we had 90 people come over from a country in Europe. They spent nine months in Silicon Valley learning what all the Silicon Valley companies did. They went back and guess what? None of those things worked. And that's why I actually created the company to say, if your culture is like this, here are some of the innovation things that would work. If you want to change your culture, which is wicked hard, you can, but this is what you have to do. And then previously before that startup, I worked for uh, IBM and I managed our um, AI, our Watson business as well. So that's a little bit about my background and how I got into Web3. Okay, cool. So are you from the Silicon Valley area? Um, so I lived um, in Silicon Valley. I've lived in New York. I've lived all kinds of different places. Uh, obviously, Seattle for Amazon Web Services as well. Um, so I've lived all over and I've traveled to one of my claims to fame is I've traveled to 87 different countries doing wow. business. And my goal is to hit 100. So that's my, my next goal to get to 100 companies and do business countries and do business in those. Very cool. That's quite a goal. 
Good. Um, yeah, if you want to talk at all about uh, Women of Web 3 or Girls in Tech for those that don't know about. Yeah, yeah. So part of what I believe, Alex, is that anybody, um, especially in tech, needs to reach back and pull others with them. And so I've dedicated a lot of my free time to groups like that. Uh, one I've chosen is Girls in Tech. Uh, Girls in Tech really looks at that, you know, that college age woman who is considering what to do and maybe a couple of jobs outside of college to try to sort out um, how they use tech and do they know enough about tech and how they look at entrepreneurship. Um, So I'm chairman of the board there. I've been chairman of the board for five years and we now have um, chapters in 55 different countries. We've got Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of young women around the world who are learning more about technology and also networking and supporting each other. When I moved over to Web3, I was shocked at the lack of diversity that exists at this time. Um, And so what I did was I, um, you know, I started like looking around saying, is it that there aren't a lot of women here? Or is it that a lot of women aren't coming in? So if you look at the stats, it's single digit in Web3, Alex. Single digits. And I thought, you know, 25% for Web2 was low. And so (laughs) the one thing I found out was that women aren't entering Web3 because they don't know what it is. It's reasons why I wanted to come on your podcast because I want more women and men and diverse groups to understand what it is, that it's not, you know, that it's not something uh, shifty and it's not something that's undefined. It has a definition and it's not shifty. I had so many people, Alex, that asked me, do you have a Swiss bank account? Because you have crypto somewhere in that, you know, Web3 portfolio or, you know, oh, Web3 doesn't even exist. It's like a myth. So um, my mission for Unstoppable Women of Web3 is to train as many women as we can on what Web3 is. I have 78 companies who've now joined me in that quest, folks like Blockchain and OpenSea to Web2 companies like Google Cloud and Deloitte and Altair who have joined in that mission. And they've dedicated their corporate teams as well to help train women in Web3. So I'm really excited about both. Any of your listeners who want to reach out to me uh, on any of those, I'd be happy to bring you on board if you're a company who wants to dedicate, you know, part of your time to training that next generation on Web3. Great. Well, very exciting. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to kind of dive into this. I'm very curious. I don't currently know the five essentials for Web3 that you've uh, that you've put forth. So let's start with what those are. Um, so let me, I'm on, like to start out if you're okay with a definition mm-hmm. of web three. Sure. Um, I know there, there are a couple, but there's no really net definition. So I came up with one sentence. Um, so for me, uh, web three is an open movement. So like open source and open movement to broadly decentralize the internet Decentralization means it's not controlled by a central group, but it's the power and the computers and everything are spread out. It's decentralized. That allows for individual ownership of identity and personal data. And when people ask me, what's the main difference between Web 2 and Web 3 in one word? In one word to me, it's ownership. It's that ownership element. And therefore, when I look at the five essentials of Web3, 
Um, I believe that those essentials all build back to that ownership model. Um, so for me, the five are decentralization. Um, the second one is digital identity. The third one is blockchain. In fact, everything, uh, Web3, Metaverse, et cetera, is built on the chain. The fourth is community. And the fifth is financial benefit to a member, not a user, but a member. And all five of those essentials, for me, echo back that ownership. The ownership is part of you, not a company. And so that's how I define it today. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, we can go into each one, Alex, if you'd like, so we can explain it a little yes. bit more as well. So I'll, I'll I would love to, okay. um, shall we start with digital? Uh, I'm sorry. Let's start with the decentralization. Mm -hmm. Does that sound good to you? Perfect. Okay. Um, so if I look at decentralization, one of the reasons that decentralization is so very important, um, in Web3 is because ownership now, again, we're going back to that ownership world word, is not centralized. And so if it's something's not centralized where everything's coming into a hub, that means it's got to be decentralized or spread out. So think about today, you know, um, I worked at Amazon Web Services. When Amazon Web Services goes down, you hear about companies around the world that go down. Uh, decentralization provides benefits in several different ways. But one of the big ones is in the ability of a company or a group to stay uh, up, have higher uptime, not to be controlled by a central element, but also to ensure that they are leveraging compute time, et cetera, for lots of different people. Now, um, you might have heard of like crypto miners, for example. And uh, crypto miners are part of decentralization because what they do is they're using and borrowing time from different uh, companies in order to do that mining. And so, uh, you know, if we think about decentralization, decentralization is really important, not just for the um, compute time, but also for the way that um, you know, that, that everything is pulled together. So let me give you an example. Maybe that would be an easier way to see it. Um, so for example, if you looked at YouTube versus a company called Theta, Theta is um, a video and entertainment blockchain group powered by the people, so owned by the people, uh, and it's on a decentralized network. And so with just a couple of lines of code, anyone can create this video platform that's easy to use, but more importantly, it's decentralized. Therefore, you've got a no central contract like you would with YouTube. You know, you pay, uh, you pay prices. This, this time you don't have to sign a contract. You don't have to uh, ask for permission to play something. Um, you leverage that decentralized network in order to, you know, really drive that forward. Now, if you're out there and you're thinking, well, Sandy, isn't Web3 today dependent on Web2 technology? Um, you would be accurate. So today we're in the early phases of Web3. Web3, I say, is in the dial-up phase. And so today, Web3 is dependent on things like Amazon Web Services and Google and other Web2 companies. But as our CEO at um, 
at Unstoppable says, we are building on top of work of prior technologies today, but it's okay because we're in the early stages. Over time, we'll be completely decentralized. So the way I describe this today is our goal is decentralization, but today we're partially decentralized as we make our move to being much more mature. Great. Very, very interesting outlook there. Um, when do you think we can expect to move forward with that? So as you said, we're in the dial-up stages. So if we think about the internet, obviously we had that for a while. <laughs> we're finally out of it. Thank goodness. That was <laughs> not a fun time. Um, so where do you see us? How? What's the timeline? Well, I think that it's it's going faster than we saw in Web 2. Remember Web 2 when we started out? Um, you know, I still remember back to uh, even the Internet, you know, that famous clip on Today's show where people were trying to describe what is the Internet. And and half of the hosts were like, this is never going to take off. We're never going to see this, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is quite funny. Um, I would say two to five years to be fully there, five years, maybe a little longer. But I think we're getting more and more momentum. In fact, Alex, you're seeing today um, a growth in Web3 developers, which is one of the ways that I judge judge the momentum of a project. The number of Web3 developers increased 61% year over year, the fastest of any other tech area. So I feel that with all these great smart people coming over and what they've learned in Web 2, like they have the basis for that, I think that we may even accelerate it. So I'm going to say two to five years. That's my project prediction right now. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll come back to you in uh, two to five years and see how that's going. <laughs> okay, good. So do, 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 that. Do, that. do that for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so then the next part, uh, digital identity, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so digital identity also plays a role um, in Web3 ownership as well. And um, if you think about a digital identity, it's an identity that travels with you. So it becomes your wallet, your healthcare data, your education records, um, essentially everything about you. And in the future, digital identity will even become more important than it is today. But first, let's pause and look at how identity is done in the Web 2 world. So if you think about Web 2, today you go and you sign into Google and you sign into Facebook and you sign into Twitter. And essentially, each time you sign in, you're using a different username and a different password to get in. Um, So that's one benefit of Web 3. Essentially, you'll have one or maybe two, how many IDs you want, but it's not going to be 289, which is what I have today. I have a password safe with 289 passwords in it. Um, Okay. Yeah, to track all that information. Now, think about today and Web 2. So I'm, you know, I've got 85,000 followers on Twitter. But now if I go to a new platform, let's say Discord, I have zero followers because I'm starting all over. That new platform doesn't recognize me at all. Why? Because my identity is actually owned by the company, Twitter, Facebook, Google, etc. They own that identity. In the Web3 world, I own my identity. And so therefore, I can sign into a DeFi application or a decentralized finance application with that same digital identity, I can also sign into a game. 
I could sign into a real estate program that's built on decentralization. I could sign into a metaverse like Atlantis Metaverse or Cook Finance, which is another DeFi app. So I can use that same identity to sign into all of those different areas. Now, the value proposition of that is really great for me as an owner. I now decide who gets to leverage my data. No longer is it a company that decides when to sell my data. I get to decide. So imagine even another company looking to get data from me, a person. Now, instead of paying Facebook for that data, now they can pay me for that data. They could give me larger benefits and they can ensure it's me as a person versus an email address, for example. So the benefits here are great and could be even greater in the future. Now, we're not here today, but in the future, as your identity travels with you, what if that identity contained all of your information about your your diplomas, your degrees? Um, My daughter just took classes at a community college. And Alex, I called to get the records so I could transfer those with her when she went to university. they, when I call them, they asked me to fax them <laughs> information. Now, first of all, I had to find a fax machine. Um, secondly, they lost it. So I had to fax three times. Finally, they said, oh, you know what? Just sna- you know, snail mail it, like not even email it, like mm-hmm. send a letter in the mail. You need the paper. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it actually ended up taking four months to get the transcript. But what if that college had given me a verified copy of that that lived on the blockchain? So it was immutable. No one could change it. It was verified by the university that said, hey, your daughter's taken these three classes or she's got this degree or she's certified here. Imagine how much easier that would be for employers to verify, Alex, that you had graduated from you know, a particular university or after you graduated, you took classes here and here and here, it would be so much easier. Let me give you another example of the future. What if your healthcare data was also in that digital identity? Um, I just recently moved from one location to another. I told you I was with Amazon, so I moved. Um, and I've been trying to, I've been still trying to get my records. So for six months, I've been trying to get my healthcare records transferred down with me. I didn't realize that some places will not even transfer my information to me. They'll only transfer it to another healthcare facility, even though it's information about me. So imagine if I had all of that data myself, I could better manage my healthcare, which we're being asked to do today more and more. So the the possibilities here are endless. In fact, people always ask me, what's your favorite Web3 application that you can use a digital identity with? And I say, it hasn't been created yet because there are going to be so many applications that we can't even imagine today. Um, But the fact that you have a digital identity means that those ownership rights for your identity and for your data now sits with you, not a government and not a corporation. Now, I, I, I always like to give the flip side of it. You know, today, we're not there today. We don't have these, we don't have education today. We don't have healthcare. We don't have some of those things. Today, what we have is, is more, you know, email matching, crypto wallet matching, humanity check, but we're getting there. We're building more each and every time something new comes out. We will get there. And we're also going to need, I believe, standards. 
So if this digital identity now becomes the way you log into everything, then there have to be some standards that are set. And I also think some, um, you know, security that you and I as individuals can also evoke on all that precious data that we have as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That was going to be my question of what's standing in the way of our idyllic world, <laughs> because um, as you've mentioned there, obviously we still have uh, a huge disconnect of the world still kind of working in fax machines and paper versus even web two. So um, how do you see that development working? Yeah. So, you know, here's one of the things that, um, that I think is interesting, you know, um, even in the crypto world today to protect for security, you have a hot wallet and a cold wallet. And um, a hot wallet is a wallet that you use every day. It's digital. A cold wallet is actually a physical piece of hardware. Like I have a ledger um, cold wallet. I think that in the future that there's going to be more of those devices that we will manage ourselves. Um, This is another place that if you're thinking about doing a startup in Web3 that you could help us with, which is, I think, the user interface, the, the ability for us to protect our own data will need to become so much easier. I could just imagine, you know, my dad today trying to protect his data. There's, he just wouldn't be able to. I, you know, maybe I even couldn't, even though I know a lot about technology. And so that would have to really ease in order for us to be able to protect it at the rate that we need. But in the future, I do see appliances or servers sitting in our house acting as that, you know, that cold storage for all of our important data that we don't want to share with everyone. Um, I just think the benefits are so great. You know, imagine, Alex, that you could decide to share, um, you know, your shoe size to a retailer if they'll give you a coupon or the fact that you just got a mortgage on a house and you get a bigger coupon or, you know, or maybe that you'd want to share particular data with a doctor that you had gathered from multiple folks. Um, You know, they say today that the number one cause of death is that the doctor doesn't have complete records about you, that they only see a partial picture because it's so hard for you to get all your data. So he or she, that doctor is missing data and therefore they misdiagnose and that leads to the wrong treatment, which in a lot of cases leads to, um, you know, death. So I think there's so many benefits that we are going to figure it out. I just think, you know, again, we're in that dial-up phase. We're a little ways away from completely understanding everything about it. Sure, sure. Very good. Um, So let's pop on to number three, which I believe is blockchain. The blockchain. This is how I got started. So I love the blockchain. Um, It is technology, but it's not as hard as you think. It is the backbone of Web3 and the metaverse. And really all it is, is a trusted set of ledgers or data um, that is agreed to between multiple parties. So you could almost think about it as as a trust creator. Um, It's literally a chain of blocks the way I'd like to describe it is a set of storage units. You know, if you have too much stuff in your house, you go out and get a storage unit, you put stuff in that unit, you're storing things there. That's what each block is, as part of the block chain. Um, each of those blocks are stored on a decentralized network, which makes it even safer because it's not all stored in one place. 
which enables a whole different mindset. Instead of a company owning your data, now what happens is that data is is uh, received from the blockchain only with your permission. Think about it like this. If you were going to write a check for, let's say, $1,000, um, Alex, let's say you're going to write me a $1,000 check. When you would do that, you would want a trusted party. In fact, a check goes through a trusted party, which is today a bank. So you'd write me that check, again, that paper, You'd write me the check. The check would go to the bank. The bank would verify, this is Alex. She's got enough money in her account to do that verification. And then it would send me the $1,000. Well, if you think about the blockchain, the blockchain becomes that trusted party. So biggest use case for blockchain today is crypto. Let's say you want to give me $1,000 worth of crypto. Let's say, you know, I don't know, what would that be? Two ETH, three ETH, depending upon where the ETH is today. Um, so what you would do is you would tell the blockchain, a computer, to send that over. The blockchain, the technology, the code, the software, does that verification. Are you who you say you are? Do you have enough funds to transfer me that? And then it would automate that process. And so in essence, the verification is done by software, which means you don't have to go in during 8 to 5. It can happen at any time. But in addition... There's transparency if you want it to be transparent because it's on chain. Um, you own your data. So you're sharing your data. A bank isn't sharing it. You're sharing it. It's interoperable. So you could send me ETH from your wallet to my wallet. It interoperates across. Um, it does become immutable, which means that it can't be changed. So once you transfer me that $1,000, there isn't a bank to call up and say, oh, I made a mistake. I didn't mean $1,000. I meant $100. And it is programmable. So there's lots of things that you can do with it today. Um, so I love the blockchain. I, I think there's so many benefits to it. But again, remember I said we're in the early phases of it. Um, today, I think more people would put more on the blockchain, but it is expensive. So what you'll see a lot of times, even with Web3 applications, they'll put some data on-chain. So if you hear on-chain and off-chain, they'll put some data on-chain because it's expensive, and they'll put some data off-chain, like a relational database, because it's not quite as costly. I do think the cost will come down over time, uh, but right now there is a cost, and there is a scaling uh, item too. You know, We have to build up the scale um, for the blockchain as well. Um, I would also say, you know, just like today, we tell, uh, if you have kids, I have two daughters, we tell our kids, don't post that on Facebook. No, you can't get that picture removed. It's there forever. Um, I believe we're going to be saying in the future, don't put that on chain because it's going to be there forever. In fact, you'll hear, um, you'll hear about people who will vote with their, you know, with something on chain. And then they'll go back and they'll say, oh, I didn't say that, or I didn't believe that, or I didn't support that, but it's all transparent and visible on chain. So a lot of projects will do votes that are on chain and votes that are off chain because they know that if it comes on chain, it's immutable, it's not changeable, and it's visible, it's transparent so people can see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely some, some possibilities there in the future. Okay. 
Very good. Um, shall we move on to your fourth essential? Yeah, now you don't seem as excited about blockchain as I am. I love the chain. So anyway. I, I think you described it very well. If you have more to tell me there, that's great. Um, I can see her face, you guys. So I was like, oh, she was like, oh, not quite interesting. But okay. Yeah, the next one I think you're going to find interesting. <laughs> so the next area is uh, community. And um, this one for me is a huge difference between um, Web 2 and Web 3. So first, let's think about um, let's think about Web 2. So in Web 2, you're a user of an application. Um, so you use Twitter, you use Facebook. You're really not a member. In Web3, it's really about community. So you are part of the community, which makes you a, a member, not a, a user. And because of that, there are some things that are very different in Web3. Um, for example, uh, one of the terms that you'll hear is a DAO, a Decentralized Autonomous Organization. That's why they shorten it to DAO. Um, I actually just wrote a blog about DAOs because I got so many questions about them. So a DAO is simply a community that comes together and they vote. They vote with, with tokens, an NFT, a non-fungible token. So they vote with tokens, maybe one person, one vote, one company, one vote, but they're voting as a community. Everybody has a voice in that community. So we see, um, you know, models now using DAOs to select their <clears throat> next set of fashion that they release or jewelry designers using that as a way to, uh, you know, to vote on, you know, should it be green or should it be red? Um, we see companies creating DAOs for their corporations. So not having shareholders, but having a DAO structure. Decentraland is a company that's like that. We see real estate coming into a DAO, that community structure, where instead of doing a timeshare, you might do a DAO structure where, you know, you have a shared ownership or fractional ownership that goes along with it. Um, I think it's quite fascinating, you know, to look at all the different elements here um, as you're, you know, as you're moving forward, because this fractional ownership model for a digital native asset or actually for a tangible asset. People own portions of things as that community because maybe otherwise they can't afford that. And that, that concept is growing. The other thing I love about it is as you're part of that community, um, you have other cool rights as well. So um, I belong to the Lazy Lions, which is an NFT community. I'm part of the queens of the Lazy Lions. We have the queens and the kings. Um, and we just came out with a roadmap. The mantra of Lazy Lions is community is the project and project is the community. Um, so the roadmap came out. And Alex, that roadmap was built by the members, by the community. And so when it came out, it was unveiled for all the community members to see it. But it wasn't a surprise. There were some surprises in it. But that roadmap, compared to a traditional roadmap that was outwardly facing, um, here, this is built for the community. It's designed with the community. It's designed like that on purpose 
Um, and it and it reflects that community as well. So it's very different than what you'd see in Web 2. And I, I believe that that's one of the coolest parts of Web 3 is this community aspect. Mm-hmm. You said that you were receiving so many questions about community being part of Web 3 that you wrote a blog. Can I ask what maybe the top one or two questions were that you were getting about that specifically? Yeah, so I was getting a lot of questions about how, um, in particular, a DAO works as part of that community structure, um, how to structure a DAO, and then what are some of the benefits of a DAO. One of the things I love to use as an analogy is, um, in fact, a lot of these questions started from a conversation I was having um, where we get together as a family. We have a family meeting once a month. So my husband, myself, our two daughters, our dogs don't get to participate, but the rest of the family gets to participate. We discuss things. There are things that we vote on where it's one person, one vote. There are things where we give the kids a vote, but they don't get a full vote. Like we get five to one, right? Because we're the parents. Um, And we were talking about that. And someone says, wow, that's like a little mini Dow. I was like, yeah, it's like a little mini Dow. It's a great way to describe it. Um, And so that's what I was trying to do is just to simplify what a DAO is because a DAO sounds really complicated and essentially it's just a community that gets together to vote. Um, It could be like, you know, I have a dinner club that I used to belong to in Seattle. Um, We would get together as a community. We would choose different restaurants. We had a little survey thing that would, we'd say, okay, you know, we're going to try this restaurant today. Um, And that's essentially a little mini DAO too, right? We're voting on which restaurant. Each person got one vote, just like every token is a vote in a DAO. And so we just, I I just kind of walk through a couple of examples of DAOs, like the Maker DAO, um, what happened with the Constitution DAO, just to really hone in on some of the core elements of what that community looks like. Okay. Um, Do you currently see any... um obvious need or anything lacking uh, where a DAO could step in? I think that, I think that, you know, there are pros and cons to everything, right? So, um, you know, some companies have set up a DAO structure because it sounds really cool and really, you know, um, fun, I guess you would say. But I know some companies right now are, are, they feel like they're being slowed down because they have a DAO structure. Um, because, you know, how much control does the vote hold? Are you going to vote on every item in the roadmap? If so, that might take you a long time. It might put you at a disadvantage. It might put you at an advantage because every feature then is approved by the community. So every feature is wanted. So there are trade-offs to DAOs. Um, I think, you know, I think that DAOs, uh, I I would advise you to experiment with the DAO first. So I'm doing a couple of experiments with just small DAOs to see how they work and when they're effective and when they're not effective. That's going to be my second blog is what makes an effective DAO, because I do think I've learned, uh, you know, some things like if you have to go wicked fast and you... Um, and you can go fast enough and experiment. And then if the experiment fails, change. I don't think you should use a DAO. I think if you've got to make big, really big decisions and you want to uh, really be very thoughtful and really move at a slower pace, I think a DAO is really helpful because then you get the community with you. Good. Very good. Um, then your last essential here was about financials. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah. Um, so this one I think is really important as well. So um, I'm going to take us back to the days of Uber. Um, I was living in San Francisco. And at the time, that was the only city that had Uber. Uh, so I became a user of Uber. And I thought it was the coolest thing since sliced bread, right? I could get a ride so easy. I didn't have to pay an arm and a leg. I started telling all my friends in San Francisco, you have to try Uber. I even told my friends in you know New York and Boston, and it's coming soon. In Miami, it's coming soon. As soon as it comes, try it out. So I was helping to attract new users for Uber. But when Uber went public, and I think they're what, like um, maybe 50 billion today, $50 billion, I didn't extract any of that value out of the company, even though I helped to attract those users. In the Web3 world, because you're not a user, you're a member, that value actually accrues to you in the, in the most part, uh, depending upon how the smart contract is written. So let's take an NFT. I told you I was part of the Lazy Lions. Um, I can take my Lazy Lion, and if I want to, I could make a tattoo of it. I could sell the tattoo of my Lazy Lion because I own that NFT. I could paint it on the side of a store. Um, I could sell T-shirts with that Lazy Lion on it. I could create a snowboard and paint the Lazy Lion design on it. Um, so owning a, a Lazy Lion, there are a bunch of perks that come out of that. And I get the commercial rights to that individual Lazy Lion. So it introduces so much possibility of what could be achieved, again, for the good of the community, right? The value of the whole community rises, Lazy Lions rise, then the value of my individual asset also rises as well. So, you know, if you think about that, I think that's an interesting model to think of, think through. Um, there are also DAOs that own uh, NFT art. Uh, they all invested in NFT art. They have a fractional ownership. And as that gallery of art they own rises, then they also rise, right? Uh, and so I think that that financial part of the financial benefit should accrue to the owner. Now, one of the things I really love is we're watching music today. <clears throat> and a lot of music artists are jumping into Web3 because, um, you know, as they sell their music, then they get a fraction of that value every time the music is played or every time the music is used. Unlike today, where they go through an agent or a company or someone else takes part of that, they really get the ownership. I'm seeing some even NFT collections doing that too, right? Like if I buy the Lazy Lion, um, it doesn't apply to Lazy Lions, but let's just say let's I buy a, an NFT of another collection the artist actually could continue to get a percentage of what I sell. So if I sold a t-shirt, maybe 2% of that would go to the artist. I just find it's an interesting ownership model that is more shared today than in the web two model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you said before that you like to look at both sides of things. So I'm going to ask you, what do you see as potential downsides to this sort of model? Yeah. So, <clears throat> so let's, let's think about that. So, um, you know, today, if you're familiar with, um, web three and you go on to buy an NFT, there is a gas fee. 
Uh, and what is that gas fee? Well, the gas fee, you're paying that to use all those decentralized computers. So because nobody owns it, but people are getting financial gain from it, you have to pay a gas fee because you're paying your portion of that decentralized network. That's what you're paying for. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, I think we have to look at how expensive is it? Like the the gas fees. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Alex, but you know, they could go, they can go from, okay, you're paying like $2 today to tomorrow. There's a lot of use and you could pay a hundred dollars. So there's no, um, no regulation, right? It's not like real gas where, okay, you're paying $5 today. You're probably going to pay $5 tomorrow. Gas in the web three world, you could pay a dollar today and a hundred dollars tomorrow because it's based on that demand. Um, and so that's always tricky because it's harder to plan for that, right? So if you're going to plan to launch your NFT collection tomorrow, counting on gas fees being low and they're high, that would impact your sales. Of course. Of course. Good. Good. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, no, it's just, it's, it's, it's I've, a lot. Uh, it's, it's a, it, it is. is a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot, but I've also just, I don't think I've sat down in, thought about these specific topics one after another in this sort of setup. And it's, it's interesting to hear it like this. So, um, yeah. Um, so out of those five topics, cause they're all big and I'm sorry, I skipped over blockchain like I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but which one do you feel is maybe the most important? Well, that might be a trick question for me, and I'll just do truth and advertising. So, you know, when I came over to Web3, I purposely chose to come to a digital identity company because I felt that was really um, the most important element. I think all five are important. You saw how much I love the chain, blockchain. Um, but I do believe that the most potential is in that digital identity. Um, you know, just a mat, you know, in my mind, having all my information in one place is like a dream. I, I don't know, if you can't see my office, but I have file cabinets with all my information. Um, I would love to have that in one digital place that I could protect it. I see a lot of, you know, I love challenges. I love, you know, figuring out like the challenges we talked about, you know, standards and security. And how would I get my dad to be able to protect his appliance that sat in his room? How do we make that easy enough? How do we explain the digital identity? You know, today we're starting with um, a domain as your name. That's like your first step. Just like in the Web2 world, you bought, you know, McDonald's.com should have been your first step. Now your first step is buying, you know, alex.nft or alex.crypto or alex.x so you can start that digital identity. So I feel like it's the gateway to Web3. And um, because I wanted to be part of the beginning of Web3, I chose that spot because I do believe that it is an understandable one. I want everybody to have their domain and get ready for what's coming with that digital identity. But note, I do work for Unstoppable Domain. So that is what we do. Um, but that is why I chose to come here versus some other Web3 companies that had been courting me. That's fair. That's fair. I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to get mad at you for a little bit of light advertising. That wasn't, wasn't bad at all. Good. Um, with that, um, obviously, there's a huge opportunity 
for Web3 growth through digital identity. Um, and I don't want to keep harking back to this this timeline thing, but obviously it's something where if we do look back again at Web2, I mean, the dot-com boom was there. How do we How do we know if that's what's happening again? When do we get past that? Um, I would say, you know, that right now we are in the boom. I mean, you can see it. You can see people leaving Web 2 companies to come to Web 3. I told you one of my earmarks is where the developers go. That's where the power is, is when the developers go somewhere, you know, they're the magic, right? Programming is as close to magic as you can possibly get. Um, and so I think they're the magic makers. So watching where they go is very important. I also just see the, you know, the power that exists today with these, um, you know, the power of community, the next generation is looking for that, right? They don't want to be told to do things. They want to be part of the solution. So I just see it also culturally fitting in as well. You know, I told you about my startup where we we really evaluated culture a lot. And culture is so hard to change, right? Our, our saying was culture eats strategy for lunch. Um, and the culture is moving towards the Web3 way of doing business as well. So I think you've got the technology, you've got the developers, you've got the culture, you've got the value. Um, so in my mind, that's why I said, you know, Two years, we'll start seeing big improvements. Maybe five years, we'll see the fruition. It may be longer. I, I, I hear some people talk about, you know, 10 years, um, but I think it might be faster just because of the movement of developers over to the space. Um, regardless, I think the power is there. Um, you know, if you think about, um, I, I did a lot of research before I came here. I talked to hundreds of companies and investors, VCs, um, I talked to a lot of naysayers and kind of my bottom line was that um, blockchain, crypto, NFT, DeFi, metaverse, Web3, whatever you call it, um, it's real. There are real examples, real use cases, real power today. Um, secondly, I've seen the use cases and I believe they're going to disrupt companies and markets. It may not be immediate, but I think that's why we see all the big guys jumping in now um, you know, trying to figure out how do I play as a Web 2 brand in a Web 3 world, right? It's why, you know, Puma is jumping in with um, Lazy Lions. It's why, you know, other companies are jumping in to experiment with it, like Nike just purchasing a, a Web 3 company. Um, it's why I see all of those things coming to flourishing today. And then finally, there are, you know, people go where the jobs are too, right? There are so many opportunities. My daughter says a gazillion, mom, a gazillion. There are a gazillion opportunities out there, tons of use cases. Um, and so I, I think the future is bright. I don't know if I have to wear shades yet, but I think the future is bright today. <laughs> so how far away are we from the true value of Web3? Yeah, I mean, I think we're getting value today. I mean, I see value today with applications. Um, you know, at Unstoppable, we already have 175 applications that have integrated with our digital identity. There's value in every single one of those apps. I would say for, you know, the the promised land of what Web3 promises, it will be, I, I think, two to five years out um, just because of the technology. But I see so much movement coming. I see 
Um, you know, all the developers coming over, 62% increase in developers coming over to Web3. I see tons of Web2 folks coming over. I see a lot of use cases now for the, um, what I would say, everybody, right? I mean, unlike Web2, where it was more technology-focused use cases at first, a lot of the first Web3 use cases are very much um, in user base, like think about buying an NFT or buying music, those kind of things. So I think that we are going to have um, a great set of value applications that are not just for businesses, but also for consumers. So with all the tech people coming over, all the developers, all of the use cases that exist, both B2B and B2C. I mean, think about even companies experimenting. Nike just bought a Web3 company to participate in the metaverse. It's just incredible. So I believe that two to five years is probably the right answer. I find that really interesting, exciting. Um, I've had some people on the expert talks here who don't want to push it that quick. They say no for that quote unquote promised land. We're looking at 10, 15 years before we're really getting it where it's integrated fully in life. And yeah, so you really see two to five. That's Interesting. Well, That's again, exciting. again, I don't think okay. two is the promised land, but I think it could be five with the number of developers coming over. I know okay. uh, much smarter people than me have projected 10, but I see it happening faster. I, I don't know. That's just my <laughs> my view. So we'll see. Um, we can replay this later, you know, yeah. just like replay the Today Show over and over and over <laughs> again and see who's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely. <laughs> Good. Um so I see you also started Unstoppable WoW 3. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, for me, <clears throat> so if you think about all the things we've been talking about today, Alex, especially about, um, you know, the community aspect and how we're still in the dial-up phase and there's still a lot of things to do, I believe that this this internet, which is the next generation of the internet, needs diverse voices. It should not just be, um, you know, a bunch of white men defining the future of Web3. You know, study after study after study shows that the more diversity you have, the more innovation you have. Um, and we need innovation in the space, right, to solve all the problems that we talked about, pricing, scaling, user interface. We have to have diversity in that mix, and so that's why I started Unstoppable Women of Web3. I wanted to provide that simple, how do you get started with Web3? What is Web3? What is blockchain? See, not everybody, everybody loves a blockchain. Um, you know, and what is what are some of the use cases and the non-tech and the non-tech elements that we could really use and leverage? Um so for me, it's very important that I give back. And this is part of my giving back and part of Unstoppable Domains, who has a commitment to diversity to give back as well. And I've had 78 companies join so far, Alex. I'm so excited by the outpouring of Web2 and Web3 companies who want to be part of ensuring the next generation of the internet is created by diverse voices. Awesome. That's, yeah, definitely fits into that ideal. Awesome. So, yeah, what are some great ways then for all these diverse people to be involved right now? How can we get started? 
Well, the first thing that I would say is, you know, um, um, if you if you're un- still unsure about what it is, go and check out whether you're a man or a woman, go check out unstoppablewow3.com um, and look at all the education that's out there and kind of brush up on it. But for Web3, you know, you can't just read about it. It's not just like a a classroom education. You got to experience it. So I would love for everybody to get a domain. Um, A domain is really important because that domain is your name. Basically, it's your name for Web3. So alex.nft or .crypto, whatever you wanted, you need to go and get that name. That would be something that I would suggest that you do. In order to do that, you can either use an email or connect up to a crypto wallet, which gives you access to purchase and buy in the Web3 world. For me, that would be what I would tell people to get started is to go and learn about it and then go experience it. The third thing would be um, to engage in some of the conversations. So there's a lot of conversations that take place on Discord and Twitter spaces um, and go and get engaged in those so that you can ask questions. No question is a stupid question because we're all so early. So ask your questions if you have it, 10 other people have it too. Fair, very good motivation there for sure. Yeah. And then I guess my other kind of follow-up question is uh, what tips would you specifically give to people who want to be involved with building Web3? Yeah, if you want to be involved with building Web3, uh, there are a couple of different ways to do it. There are tons of DAOs out there that are taking volunteers. In fact, uh, I was just talking to some guys yesterday, and um, they're with Web2 companies. They didn't want to quit their Web2 job. They wanted to experiment building. And so they jumped in on some of these projects. There are great classes, you know, MIT, Arizona State University. They're all uh, launching classes, Coursera, that you can uh, start to learn about the chain and blockchain and, you know, how to build on top of it as well. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, We need builders. I think Web3 is about builders and creators. So we need both. Awesome. Well, great. I feel like I've gotten some new perspective on things. I apologize once again for not asking more about blockchain. (laughs) I know that'll come back to bite me. Um, but yeah is there anything else that you want to plug before we finish up here um I would just say you know if you guys uh, you guys can reach me on Twitter or LinkedIn I'm basically on any social platform out there if you do have further questions I invite those and if you need help getting your domain since I do work for Unstoppable please reach out to me and I'd love to help you with that as well Awesome. Yeah, we will put all of your contact and socials and things in the notes to the show. Um, Hopefully also a link to your blog where maybe they can even read that blog about (laughs) everything. So yeah, um, good. Then last question, who do you think we should have on Venley Expert Talks next? Oh my gosh. So I have a whole list of great women, um, not because there's only women in the world, but I do think <laughs> it's really amazing to have some cool women on. I would recommend Kathleen Evans from Sandbox because they're doing some really cool things around um, the metaverse and gaming. And I feel like that's going to be an area that just explodes. Uh, and I think she would be a great guest for you. Awesome. Yeah, we've definitely had um, Sebastian from Sandbox. And so that oh, was a very 
good episode. So yeah, I would, I would like to talk to Kathleen as well. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well then Sandy, thanks so much for taking your time today and uh, talking me through your essentials. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Alex. Thanks for, thanks for hosting today. And thanks for all the listeners out there. If you have any questions, reach out to me. Talk to you soon. Bye.